take your Bibles and turn with me for our Scripture reading for our sermon text this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, I preached a Mother's Day sermon, so I can't leave you guys out. So, last week we had an intro to the series that we're going to start in Isaiah. And this morning we're going to take a brief break from that to do a sermon from Ephesians. And next week we'll pick up with the series in Isaiah. So, Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read together verses 1 through 4. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, I'm going to ask you if you'll stand, please, for the reading of Holy Scripture. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Father, we ask that you would bless not only the reading of your mighty, powerful word, that you inspired by your Holy Spirit for us, your people. Bless not only the reading of this word in our ears today, but bless now the preaching and proclamation of this word. Open up its truths to us and inscribe those truths upon our very hearts today. And may our lives be changed to reflect your character, your will, and your ways, and your glory. For your name's sake, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When a husband and a wife are deciding if they want to start a family, there are many questions they have to consider. Would you rather have a boy or a girl? What should we name the baby? Can we afford a child right now? Do you believe spanking is a good form of discipline? Should we consider moving to a nicer neighborhood? Should we upgrade to a bigger car or a bigger house? Will we homeschool, private school, or send them to public school? What kind of diet should we set for the baby? Will we teach our kids to believe in Santa Claus? And on and on the questions go. Having children and starting a family is a big deal. It's accompanied by serious challenges and it requires a tremendous investment. It's not something you decide without lots of forethought and planning if you can help it. Now, as important as all those questions are, one of the most important questions that Christian parents must face is this. Will we raise our children as Christians? And now, I don't mean... Will we take our kids to church? Will we teach them Bible stories? Will we show them how to pray before dinner? Will we raise them with godly manners and biblical morals so that they turn out to be decent people? I don't mean that. I don't merely mean that. I mean this. As part of your parenting... Will you treat your little children as Christians, or will you treat them as lost, unregenerate sinners? I made my little cousin cry once because I tried to convince her that she is totally depraved. (laughs) I called her a little bundle of depravity, and she cried. What do you do? I'm not her parent. (laughs) How you answer this question is going to determine your approach 
to parenting. Now, I once heard a very famous pastor, if I said his name, you'd all know him. I once heard a very famous pastor tell his congregation in a sermon that the greatest mission field in the world is in their own homes. He taught his people to look at their little children as though they were lost. He told them to treat their children as though they were lost, to treat them as though they had nothing to do with Christ. You should raise your kids in a Christian home with Christian values, he said, but your main task is to convert them. And until they have some sort of conversion experience, they're not Christians They have not been born again, and they have no rightful place in the church or among the people of God. That belief will change how you approach parenting. That belief will change how you conceive of the church, what you think the church is and who belongs to the church. But is he right? Is that pastor right? Is it really the case that God wants you as Christian parents to presume that your infants and your small children are accursed and cut off from Christ, that they do not belong with the ranks of the church, that they have no place in the community of faith? Is it true that you can teach and train your kids in the faith, but none of that means anything spiritually in God's sight until they have a conversion experience? Do you believe your home is a mission field? What is a Christian home? And what's the place of little children in that home? What is your Christian home if you have small children? What's your Christian home supposed to look like? And what kind of parent should you be? Well, in our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul gives us a clear answer to these vital questions. At this point in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul turns his attention upon children and their parents in the local church. In chapter 5, verse 21, Paul gives a command to his audience that they are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then from 5.22 all the way to chapter 6, verse 9, Paul addresses all the various people in the Christian community, and he summarizes how they are to submit to one another. He says, submit, in verse 21, and then he spends the next several sections explaining what that looks like and what that means for all the different kinds of people in the church. He concentrates on, number one, the Christian home. That's where he goes first, the Christian home. He speaks to husbands and wives in chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Paul explains what submission means and illustrates what it looks like in the context of marriage. He says the relationship between Christ and His church is the model of what marriage ought to look like among Christians. The church submits to Christ, and Christ gives His life in service to the church. That's the model. And in the same way, Paul says, wives are to submit to the authority or headship or leadership of their husbands, and then husbands are to submit their authority, their headship, to the needs of their wives, to use their headship to put spouse before self, which means service is the corollary of submission. The two must go together. Service and submission go together. As one submits, the other serves. And in this way, as 521 says, husbands and wives submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, after addressing the relationship in chapter 5 between husbands and wives... Paul turns next here in our passage in Ephesians 6 to the relationship of those husbands and wives with their children. And he tells the church what submission and service 
means in the context of parenting. He speaks directly to the children in verses 1 through 3, and then he speaks directly to the fathers in verse 4. And Paul's aim in this passage is to instruct and encourage Christian families in the mutual obligations and responsibilities of parents and their children. And in the text, Paul makes three main points. First, he instructs children to obey their parents as Christians. Second, he instructs fathers to raise their children as Christians. And then third, Paul connects the obedience of the children and the raising by the parents in a covenant relationship. Parents and children have mutual obligations and responsibilities to one another. And that mutual bond in parenting takes the form of a covenant, just as it does in marriage. Marriage is a covenant. So is parenting. The Christian family is a covenantal family. And on these three points that Paul makes in our text, he establishes the doctrine of the covenant family, and it's this. The children of believers are Christians, which means they are members of the covenant community. And Christian parents, especially fathers, are responsible to nurture and disciple their covenant children as Christians within that community. So where we're going this morning is to look at the text and unpack that doctrine of the covenant family. So let's turn to our text and examine this passage and see how Paul establishes this doctrine and how it applies to the Christian home and why fathers and mothers are to raise and the way that fathers and mothers are to raise their children. So, on your handout, it's a little more detailed this time, but there's just two main points this morning. First, Paul's instructions to covenant children, verses 1 through 3. And then second, Paul's instructions to parents about covenant nurture, verse 4. So those are our two big main points today. So, first, covenant children. Paul's first point is directed to the covenant children in verses 1 through 3. And so there are four subpoints I want us to bring out of this text this morning to teach us about covenant children. First, notice the context of Paul's instructions in the text. The second half of the letter to the Ephesians is about the Christian life. At the beginning of chapter 4, Paul says to the church, I urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now, Paul addresses his audience in this text as Christians as those who have been called by God, who have a unity with one another in the Holy Spirit, and who share what he calls a bond of peace, which is the covenant of peace in Christ, made in Christ, as Isaiah and Ezekiel prophesied, and as Paul unpacked earlier in the letter in chapter 2. Paul says in, next in chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, he says, There is one body and one spirit, Just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Here Paul teaches the spiritual, supernatural, and eternal nature of the church as the foundation of the unity of Christians in the church. Paul considers his audience to be united as one covenant body under one Lord, sharing in one faith, all baptized in common, all children of God the Father. 
And this is why Paul says at the beginning of chapter 5, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. It's chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Here's the point of this context, this background. Paul's audience has not changed when he gets to our text in Ephesians 6. Paul understood perfectly well when he wrote Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5 that children were in the audience. And he makes no distinction between them and everyone else when he gets to Ephesians 6. Children, together with their believing parents, are united under the lordship of Christ and the fatherhood of God. They are included in the unity and fellowship of the church. They are members of the body of Christ. And they are bound by the covenant of peace. So parents, your children are not addressed as unregenerate reprobates in this passage. Paul does not make any special caveat when he moves from talking about wives and husbands to children and parents. He moves seamlessly from Christian marriage straight into Christian families without saying, now now remember, none of your kids have anything to do with Jesus until they have this come-to-the-altar moment later in life. So kids, earplugs, this isn't for you. I'm just talking to the Christians now. Paul doesn't do that. Paul does not treat the Christian home as a mission field in Ephesians 6. Rather, he treats it as part of the church, as part of the covenant community, the visible church, the society of faith. And this is how you ought to conceive of your home and yours, infants and small children. You all belong together as a family, in the same community, in the same church, and in the same body of Christ. That's the first thing to notice this morning in Paul's instructions to children, the context of the instruction. Second, we must notice now the content of Paul's instructions. As I mentioned earlier, chapter 5, verse 21 is the theme of 5.22 all the way to 6.9. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, in the fear of Christ. That's the theme. Paul is explaining to his Christian audience in the local church at Ephesus how the various types of people in the congregation ought to submit to one another. And Paul says in chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Obey. The Greek word Paul uses here, which the ESV translates as obey, actually means to submit. It means to submit when it's used of a relationship between a dependent and those who have authority over them. So Paul is here continuing his explanation of what submission means and what it looks like in the Christian home. Children are to be submissive or subordinate to their parents. And this is why our Bibles translate the word as obey. Children must listen to their parents and do as they are told, Paul says. And then Paul supplies two reasons why children must obey. Two grounds or motives for children's obedience. The first one's back in 521. He says, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the first reason to obey is the fear of the Lord. The trembling awe that we ought to feel in our souls for the lordship and majesty of Christ. And the dread that should crush the conscience at the thought of angering so great and merciful a God. The fear of the Lord. The motivation for obedience is to serve the Lord Jesus, to live as His faithful follower, to be His loyal disciple. 
That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord. He doesn't mean you unbelieving kids obey your believing parents, that the parents are the ones in the Lord and not them. Obey your parents in the Lord. In other words, kids, obey as a Christian. Obey because you're a Christian. And interestingly, Paul gives these exact same instructions in his letter to the Colossians. Listen to how he says it there in Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, Paul says those who are in the flesh can't do that. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, for they do not submit to the law of God. They aren't even able to do so. But here Paul tells these kids, when you obey mom and dad, it's pleasing to the Lord. The comprehensive obedience of children to their parents in all things is pleasing to the Lord. And that is the first motivation to obey. We want to love and fear Jesus. Our heart's desire is to please Him, and thus we are zealous to obey. Paul's trying to get kids to feel that, to nurture that in their souls. This is what you do for your children if you believe in Christ. You teach them this motive of to fear and love Jesus, to obey because He's your Lord, because it pleases Him when you obey That's motive number one. Second reason Paul gives for why children should obey their parents is the law of God. In verse 2, Paul quotes the fifth commandment, which requires that children honor their parents. The law of God demands that children obey parents. This is why Paul says in verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obedience is just. It's righteous. It's the right thing to do. Obey your parents in the Lord because it is right. Children should obey out of a hunger and thirst for righteousness. They should want to do the right thing simply because God says it's right. So kids, listen up. One's watching, one's here. Listen, Ruthie, you taking notes? All right, Matt's going to quiz you later. God wants you to hear this from His Word this morning. When you do what mom and dad tell you to do and listen to what they say, that means you are worshiping Jesus and doing what He tells you to do. Because Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, inspired this text. It's the Word of God, Jesus is God, QED. If you don't listen to mom and dad, then you don't listen to Jesus. But if you do listen to mom and dad, you are listening to Jesus. It's that simple. When you don't listen to your parents... And when you disrespect them, you are disobeying and disrespecting God because He's the one who put them there for you and gave the fifth commandment that says to honor them. There's nothing special about mom and dad that makes them unique human beings that are different than every other human being. They're sinners, fallen, needy sinners like the rest of us who need Jesus. What makes them different is the Word of God that says you're to honor them specifically. God's Word sets them apart, not anything about them. You don't listen to them because they're so special in themselves. You listen to them because God has set them apart as the authority. Disobeying parents and disrespecting them disobeys and disrespects God, and that's sinful, and you should take that very seriously. God's law demands that you children must reverence your parents recognize and submit to their authority 
Accept their instructions and comply with their directions. It doesn't mean you have to ignore their faults, failures, flaws, and sins. And when they sin against you, they should be modeling what repentance looks like and asking for forgiveness. That should be part of it too. But you don't get to say, I'm not going to listen just because you sometimes sin. A Christian child must be honorable, dutiful, respectful. Anything less is disobedience to Christ and a violation of God's holy law. That's the second thing to notice in Paul's instructions to covenant children. First, the context, and second, the content of his instructions. Third, we must notice the consequences of Paul's instructions. Paul does not merely quote the fifth commandment to enjoin obedience to parents upon children, but he also quotes a promise. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. God has not simply given a law to children and just left it at that. Now, he could have, right? He's God. He could say, this is what you will do, and there's no reward for it. It's what you have to do. It's what you should do. There's no guarantee of, like, getting something in return for obedience. Jesus says, whenever you have done all your duty, everything God has asked of you, when you've done it all, you should say to him, I am merely an unprofitable servant. I have only done what I should have already been doing in the first place. In other words, obedience isn't this title you turn to God and say, now bless me. I've done this for you. Where's my grace? God can simply command us and leave it at that. He owes us nothing. We owe him everything. But he doesn't just leave us there in Ephesians 6. He doesn't just say, kids, obey your parents, and that's the end of it. He could have, but he didn't. As the sovereign king and creator, he can command whatever he pleases and offer nothing in return. But that's not his will for covenant kids. God has appended a promise to his law and makes the fruition of that promise conditional upon fulfillment of the law. Children who obey God by submitting to their parents will enjoy the favor and blessings of God in their lives. The prosperity that God holds out to the obedient children is yet another motive to follow God's Word and keep His commandments. Look at these gracious and glorious promises. So, claiming those promises is another motive to obey These are the consequences of Paul's instructions. If you obey, you meet the condition, you reap the promise, you reap the benefit. That's the consequence. This brings us now to the final point on Paul's instructions to children in verses 1 through 3. We've seen the context, the content, and the consequences. And now, fourth, we must notice the character of Paul's instructions. And by character, I mean the kind of argument that Paul makes in these three verses. Paul's instructions to children are based on the fifth commandment. And the fifth commandment is covenantal in form. The best and most concise biblical definition of a covenant is given at the end of verse 2 in our text. What is a covenant? As Reformed people, we talk about covenant theology a lot. But if you get right down to it, what is a covenant in simple terms? A covenant is a commandment with a promise. Just what he says here in Ephesians 6. This is the first commandment with a promise. A covenant at its most basic level is a conditional promise, a commandment with a promise, a promise that is yours only if you meet the condition of keeping the commandment. That's a covenant. And Paul takes the covenant of the fifth commandment and applies it to children and their parents. 
as I said at the beginning, children and parents share mutual obligations and responsibilities of submission and service. One has to submit, that's their end of the covenant. One has to serve, that's their end of the covenant. These are mutual obligations. Service and submission are corollaries of each other. They always come together. Mutual obligations. And the thing that binds these mutual duties and commitments together is the covenant of the fifth commandment. And here we see Paul's doctrine of the covenant family firmly established. Children are bound by covenant obligations to the Lord and to His law and to their parents. And children are also heirs of covenant promises. They're bound by covenant commandments and conditions, but they're heirs of these covenant promises. The commandments and the promises belong to your covenant children. You, Christian parents, are not on the mission field when you're at home. You're in the church. Your family is part of the visible church. Your children were born into the covenant community, so long as at least one of the parents is a believer. This is why God wants us to baptize our covenant children as infants and to raise them as Christians. It's because it is their covenant right. And this naturally raises the question then of how parents are to raise their children as Christians. If the Christian home is not a mission field, what should it look like? What is it? How does God intend the Christian family to nurture covenant children? Paul tells us in verse 4 of our passage, and this is the second main point this morning, covenant nurture. He says in verse 4, Fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, as we move now towards the end of the sermon, I want us to look very briefly, and it will be very briefly, at three points in this first verse, sorry, in this verse about covenant nurture. And they're listed on your handout. First, covenant nurture defined. I get the word nurture from the Greek word that the ESV translates in verse 4 as the phrase, bring them up. Bring them up. The word literally means to feed or to nourish. And it only occurs one other time in the whole New Testament. And it's right here in Ephesians. It's only used twice, the whole New Testament. And Paul uses it both times right here in Ephesians in the same context. He used it back in chapter 5, verse 29, when he says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, his own body, but nourishes and cherishes it. There's our word, nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. And that word translated nourish in 529 is the same word Paul uses here in 6.4. It's just translated differently as bring them up. The point is this, people take care of their own bodies by feeding and caring for them. And that's what parents are to do for their children. They are to feed, nourish, nurture them. But then that raises the question, what are you supposed to feed them? And this is the second point of covenant nurture. Covenant nurture described. Obviously here, Paul's not talking just about your child's physical diet. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Paul names two things that parents are to feed their children. He says, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Discipline and instruction. The Greek word translated here as discipline means education through training. 
education through training. Paul says parents are to give their children an education in the Christian faith through discipline and training. In other words, parents, you're called to disciple your kids. You are to feed your children a steady diet of the Word of God. You are to nurture your children in the Christian faith, to raise them as Christians, teach them to live and believe and act and repent and do all the things Christians are to do. You are to treat them as Christ's disciples. And when they sin, and they daily will, just like us, you are to chastise them and put them back on the straight path. And this phrase that Paul uses, the discipline of the Lord, is actually quoted more or less from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Old Testament's originally in Hebrew, but there was an ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament before there was a New Testament. And this comes from Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, which says, Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe His discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom He delights. You are to nurture your covenant children, first and foremost, with the loving discipline of the Lord. That's discipleship. The second word Paul uses here is translated instruction. The discipline and the instruction of the Lord. The Greek word means to admonish, to warn, to instruct, to appeal for action. To appeal to someone to do something. Not just persuade them to think something, but get them to do something. Beseech them, appeal to them, admonish. Paul relates a similar idea in 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. Listen to this. He says, As you know, like a father with his own children, we apostles encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to live worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We acted like fathers do with their own children, encouraging, comforting, imploring, live worthy of God, my child. Live worthy of He who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. This is what God expects of you, parents. You are to call your children to live worthy of their God, who has so graciously placed them in your family as citizens of His kingdom, as heirs of His glory. You are to spare no means in leading your children in the ways of Christ. You must encourage, comfort, implore. You must admonish, warn, and appeal. You must educate, teach, train, discipline your children in the Christian faith. We spend so much energy on getting them to be good at this sport or this activity or that subject to get into this school and get that job and we spend all this time. But they're going to stand before God one day and He's going to say, did you teach them to obey me? Not just hit a ball. Did you show them how they are to live in my sight? Not just how to get a good job. This is what God has called you to do as Christian parents. And with that calling comes the sure knowledge that you will give account one day. So finally then, the third point of covenant nurture is this. Covenant nurture delegated. Although parents are expected to provide covenant nurture to their children... This text says the primary responsibility falls squarely on the shoulders of fathers. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) You see that in the passage. God singles out you, dads. The Bible says fathers, verse 4, fathers 
bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Men, you have the responsibility as head of your home to lead and serve not just your wife, but also your children in the things of God. If your children are not being taught the Word, ultimately that's on you. If your children are not learning how to pray or how to pay attention during worship or the importance of the Bible or how to repent of their sin when they do something wrong or how to treat their siblings and friends in a godly way. In other words, dads, if your kids are not being taught how to be Christians, God will hold you accountable for that. Now, moms, you got to be involved too. It's not all Him. You had better be involved too, but by this text, covenant nurture is delegated at the end of the day to dad. God expects fathers to take the initiative and raise Christian children in a loving, caring, and godly home. Men, he's established you and your family to be like Abraham in his covenant household. God said about Abraham in Genesis 18, 19, For I have chosen him so that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Dads, this is your solemn calling by God, and it's a gift. What a privilege. Yes, it comes with a burden and it comes with responsibility. You've got to take it seriously and all that. But what a gift that God gives to you, that you get to take that initiative and to ensure that your children know who Jesus is. Oh, what a blessing. If you accomplish nothing else in this life, Dad, make sure you work on this one. Make sure you get to stand before God and say, my hands are innocent of the blood of my children. So that if they forsake Christ, if they go their own way and are lost, God, please don't let it happen, please. But if they do, my hands are clean. I told them who Christ is. I raised them in the church. They know who He is. And I get to stand before God with my family if it's the last thing I do. If you accomplish nothing else in life than just this, what a reward in heaven is waiting for you. Your reward in heaven will be tremendous. Heed the words of Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. These words that I am giving you today, God says, are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. God tells you what He expects of a Christian home, a covenant family. You parents are to surround your children with the Word of God. The Word is to saturate your house, your activities, your daily routines. Now, of course, you, you have to figure out what kind of schedule and learning tools and educational needs and specific attention that your own children needs, each one of them. Not every family is going to do it the same way. You have to figure out what, what works best for your lives and your kids and your situation and your family, all that, of course. Use wisdom, be prudent, figure it out. All that stuff's got to be factored in. But you don't get to skip this just because you're busy or just because it's hard, or I don't know what I'm doing, or it's awkward. You don't get to skip this. When I have kids, I don't get to skip this. This is a sermon I need to hear before I have any of these little guys running around. This is for me and for you. It's your responsibility in the sight of God, fathers, to nurture the covenant children God has blessed you with and to raise them up in the faith to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And if you will do this, the Word of God gives you great hope just as God holds out the promise to children in verse 3 where He says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. 
So God holds out a similar hope to parents. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands, for they will bring you many days of full life and well-being. And what a tremendous blessing a Christian parent, what a tremendous blessing to Christian parents to see their children inherit the promises of the gospel. Oh, that you would pray and strive for such a glorious reward. As we close, I want you parents with small children to realize that your home is not a mission field. Your children are Christians because they have been born into your family, into the covenant community, into the visible church, and thus they have a divine right to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. They belong to God, and you are to raise them as disciples of Christ, but this has to be said, please do not make the mistake of assuming that they are automatically saved. If what you've heard me saying is they're all born again automatically just because they're your kids, I haven't been saying that. I'm saying they are members of the church, not that they are necessarily members of Christ. Let me explain. We do not know who God's elect are, and so we cannot know ahead of time that our children are elect just because they're ours. Don't mistake covenant privileges with election. We must not presume they're saved, but we also must not presume that they're reprobates either. We don't assume they're elect automatically, but we don't assume they're all reprobates and going to hell either. We don't believe in presumptive regeneration, but which leads to laziness and neglect. But we also reject presumptive reprobation, which leads to doubt and despair. We've got to find the proper balance which is this, and we'll close here. We are to believe the Scriptures. That's what we should presume. We have to believe the Scriptures and obey them, simply because God said so. And we, and as we disciple our children with covenant nurture, we relate everything to the gospel. That's the key. Covenant nurture must be gospel-centered, Discipleship without the gospel is an oxymoron. And Paul describes true discipleship in Colossians 2.28. We proclaim Christ, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's discipleship. In all your covenant nurture, you must always proclaim Christ to your children. We must constantly teach our children to repent of their sins and to trust in Christ alone for salvation. But we do not assume that our children have never repented and never believed the gospel until they have some kind of explicit conversion experience. That's entirely the wrong way to approach it. The right approach is to nurture your children in gospel-centered obedience so that when they grow up, they can never remember a time when they didn't repent and believe the gospel. Your job is to see to it that your kids never need a conversion experience. Far as they can remember, we've always loved Jesus. I didn't have to walk an aisle, sign a card, pray a prayer. I didn't have to do all that. I've, been, I've loved Jesus from my earliest memory. That's the goal. If you teach them the whole counsel of God from the earliest days, from their earliest days, and watch them growing in grace and in the knowledge of Christ, then you can have great confidence, even if it's not certainty, you can have great confidence that God has already caused them to be born again imperceptibly and that they have quietly grown up into the faith of the true children of God. This is your call, parents, and this is your duty, children. Covenant children, covenant parents, 
in one covenant family. This is the great hope of the covenant family. So, O oh fathers, on this Father's Day, be encouraged by these great promises. Be inspired by these serious commands. Hope in God, you Christian fathers, and resolve this day in the presence of the Lord to have the mindset of Joshua who said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come before you and we're so humbled by your scriptures. We're so moved by your truth. And I pray that this truth of your word would grip all of us, wherever we are in life, whatever our situation is, whether we don't have kids yet like me or we have small kids that still live at home, whether our kids are teenagers, whether they're grown and gone and on their own in the world. I pray that all of us would be able to take something away of encouragement and inspiration from your word today. That you would write your truth upon our hearts. She would encourage and challenge us. That you would make us redouble our efforts in praying for our kids. Reaching out to them with the gospel. Oh, that we all could stand together before the throne on that last day with all of our families together. Oh, that's our prayer today. And for those who, who have kids who are far from you, our hearts ache and break. And we pray especially for them that if they are covenant children, that we would remind them of their covenant obligations and of their covenant promises. That we would re- re- remind them of their baptism and the covenant that comes with their baptism, the commands and the promises, and call them back Grab them by their baptism and pull them back into the fold. And may we pray to that end that we would continue to have strength, courage, commitment, diligence, and discipline in our homes to have covenant families, to have godly homes where we walk godly in those homes and we teach our kids the gospel. And we model for them how to repent and how to ask for forgiveness. Oh, we're so weak and needy. We're so frail and insufficient for these things. But you've called us. You've given us the gospel. We have Christ with us. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Encourage us today, oh God, to go forward, renewed in our strength and commitment, to follow you with all we have, and to see to it as best as as it's up to us that our kids know the gospel. And let us all stand together in your presence on the last day with such joy that we can hardly imagine it. Oh, we ask these things for your namesake, Lord, and for our good. Amen.